Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Bizarre Conspiracies. My name is Eric Patino and, uh, and today I'm Conrad Toll. Yes, you did it without me tr- introducing you. <laughs> You're yeah. just like, yeah, let's just get this over. Uh, yeah, I'm joined by Conrad Toll. And um, today's going to be a um, interesting episode. I say that all the time, but today is because we're going to have two different topics, but they're going to they're kind of going to go along with each other in a in a way. Um so I'm going to be talking about um China taking over the world and <laughs> Conrad uh is going to be talking about uh, prepping again, right? Yes. Yeah. So I guess really we both kind of overlap because prepping is for includes World War 3 and China taking over the world does not include World War 3 actually in this case. Because it's more of like a power grab, right? Like a slow uh, economic conquest, right? Uh, yes. Well, here's the thing, though. A lot of, um, let's say, conspiracy theories revolve uh, that that involve World War Three revolves around China, right? Yeah, that's that's a big one. It's yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like if you have two big kids on the block, and you're like, oh, they're gonna fight. You just <laughs> know it. You got you feel it, and you're like, there's one rising up that challenge next it's a classic story and we've got the world sole superpower in one corner usa and then what is the challenger it's china mm-hmm. rising mm-hmm. up from their long and extended background of ancient history which has stretches back to the earliest of mankind's recorded history and all of that yes rising from the oppression of um, <laughs> european conquests and <laughs> that sort of thing you're going all into it <laughs> Yeah, so. Well, here's the thing. So Who's there, the winner? Yeah. I think I, I'll talk about mine first. That way it's a good segue into you being, you know, doing the prepping. There is a well-known fact. It's not even a conspiracy theory. I thought this was going to be more of a conspiracy theory that by the year 2049, China has this set mentality of being the world's most dominated dominating mm-hmm. uh uh super force it wants to overthrow the u.s it wants to control it sees you know the world but and i you know that sounds like a conspiracy theory but believe me there have been interview after interview after interview and you can even go on um youtube and find videos of the chinese president uh xi jinping saying that yes by the year 2049 china will will regain it, its glory and be yeah. the world superpower the only world superpower with no uh contestants against it which is interesting um i kind of alluded to it in my little thing but china used to be at one time the a world superpower uh, back 
before um back before uh i guess medieval ages or so china it was extremely powerful in the orient as it is today and all the neighboring countries of like um the the viet vietnam korea um all of them had looked towards china as being the the power in the region the powerhouse and all the other places a lot of them were even um puppets of china Vietnam, especially if you go back to you know the Chinese uh, control over um, over Vietnam, actually had some laid some of the foundations for the Vietnam War, which you know that's a whole different thing. But it's very interesting if you if you go back and study the history of China, it was a superpower, and him saying that we will rise again is a right, big right. deal. It is. This is something that. Um, the CCP have been wanting for for its own country to to take over again. You know what the CCP is? Yeah, the Chinese Communist, Communist Party. Party. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this uh, I don't I don't want to say theory, but this um, this whole uh, agenda has three main components to it. One being the CCP. The, the other being uh, this organi- organization called CRISPR, and the third being uh, the Chinese president himself, Xi Jinping. So let's start with the CCP. So the Chinese Communist Party was founded in 1921. It claims its origins in uh, May 4th movement of 1919, during which uh, radical Western ideologies like Marxism gained traction uh, in, in China. So in the summer of 1919, the Russian Communist Party decided to assist the people in the Far East. And in April 1920, the Foreign Affairs Division of the Russian Party sent... Let me see if I can say this right. Violensky? <laughs> uh, they sent him over to develop Marxism in China. So uh, if, if you're a bit younger, and I know we have a lot of young listeners on the show, if you don't know what Marxism is or communism. Co- communism is essentially a, cas- a classless society, right? That was created by Karl Marx and uh, somebody else. Frederick? What's his name? What's Friedrich. 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 Uh, I, I forget his last name. I, I didn't do any research on Friedrich. <laughs> it's Friedrich von something. But but the, the main founder everyone knows is Karl Marx. And the simple idea is that you would start with a big government assisting people that eventually leads to the government no longer being needed. That's essentially what it is in its simplest terms, right? Uh, yeah. In, in very simple terms. Now, while that might sound like a good idea, uh, it just it's never worked throughout history. It's just never been a good thing. And here's why. Government sucks. <laughs> they don't ever plan on giving up power. I would say that the the biggest issue is not that it's government run. Uh, well, yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely because it's government run. But the there's there's an issue of whenever people are come together to form an organization, it, corruption is present. And the larger the organization, the larger the corruption. And it just gets to the point where human nature does not work well with communism. So communism, generally the examples that are given of a good communist society are like an anthill or a beehive, where every ant works for the good of the community and the community works back together for the the, the workers. But humans don't work well as ants (laughs) because – you never have an issue with an ant breaking away from the group and, you know, eating more than he's supposed to. Or that sort of a thing. Or 
not working as well as everything else because they're driven to do that. Humans are driven by more of a, you know, if you look at apes and that sort of thing, how they set up a hierarchy, humans sort themselves into classes instinctively. So you're trying to have a group that works without a hierarchy working against their biology pretty much. So that that's that's typically what I see as the biggest issue with communism. It's just structured to fail. Right, right. So I told you it uh, involved three parts, right? Uh, the the other part uh, that involves is the, the current president. Well, here's a little backstory on him. He was the son of a Chinese communist veteran. Uh, he was exiled to rule Yanchu country as a teenager following his father's purge during the Cultural Revolution. And he lived in a cave in the village... Uh, where he was at, where he joined the CCP and worked as a party secretary. So it's interesting. He kind of vague, a little bit reminds me of Genghis Khan. Here you have this. Yeah, he does have a, a, an interesting rise to power. Yeah, yeah. He he goes from fairly well family, right? Uh, well, fairly well known family because of his father. Uh huh. And then he he just completely uh, gets gets uh, shunned out of society essentially, and uh, so yeah he joins the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and, and it's interesting he he rises power he becomes uh, a leader here and there for a couple of years in like small government roles. Eventually he becomes the the vice president of the Chinese Communist Party. He becomes the president of China. And in 2018, right, he abolished presidential term limits, allowing him to rule indefinitely. So here he is, came came from nothing, struggled, lived in a cave, mm-hmm. and now he is the the uh, the Chinese president until he died. Right? Yeah. So he's a dictator, the, basically. I think that the difference between him and uh, Genghis Khan, like the biggest difference is he joined a group and then worked its way up through the ranks. Uh, and then, you know, Genghis Khan, he started his little bitty group and then grew the group. And, but he was always at the top of the group. But he just made the, the group rise as instead of climbing up through a group. Well, if Genghis Khan was a was a leader in, in, in modern society and today, I believe he would have done kind of the same thing. Probably. Um, but, you know, throughout his career, he has coined the phrase Chinese dream. He, he, he uses it to describe his, his overarching plans for China as its leader. And I believe it was around, let's see, November to, uh, 2012 is when he started being more public about it. Like the Chinese dream. This is my Chinese dream. This is the CCP Chinese dream to once again be the predominant ruler of, of, you know, earth. And one of the main, compl- the one of the one, one way he, he's going to do this is through CRISP. Now, CRISPR. Is it, CRISPR itself is a, is an acronym for um like a DNA sequence. Do do you know what do you know what I'm talking about, Connor? Uh, I I do kind of. I know that DNA uh, works through a bunch of uh, things that connect to one another, and <laughs> there's a pattern in them which comes up with kind of like a binary code almost that that forms a program that that's pretty much DNA. Right, right. Um, so uh, CRISPR is an uh, an acronym for uh, clustered regularly interspaced short. Let me see if I can say that. 
pelodromic repeats. Um, so I guess it's a, it's, it's a family of DNA sequences that's found in the genomes of prokaryote organisms such as bacteria. Now these sequences are derived from DNA fragments of, uh, these bacteria that, that previously infected the prokaryonote. I'm not going to get into more of it because the more <laughs> I looked up, uh, gene editing and, um, and the, the, the organisms and all that, the more I get confused. But essentially what it is that they developed a way to genetically modify DNA. They can change anything they want, right? They can fix mutation. They could change DNA like eye color, skin color, hair. You want, do you want your baby to be seven feet tall, four feet tall? Whatever you want, they can do it. They can even change the the muscles and the bones to be stronger. But that 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 kind of raises a question because you know, like the way that you tell if somebody is related to somebody else is you you know you take the DNA of them and both their parents and you see if it would be a perfect match and that sort of a thing. But if you've changed the DNA. So it wouldn't match anymore. So the question is, would that even be your biological child anymore? Anyway, just a soft cat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, obviously, they're not going to change too much of the DNA, right? Because they still need the uh, they still need the majority of it. But just just they they can tweak the DNA just enough to get what they want, right? Now they have these uh, these tests. I forgot what it's called. I think it's like a ten ninety or ten ninety nine test. Where they can, where they can, uh, figure out your DNA essentially, right? And they do these for babies. And, um, well, the reason why we're talking about CRISPR, even though it was, uh, co-founded by an American here in Boston, it, the, the actual labs are in China and they're doing all these experiments. And, and when you ask scientists about taboo experiments like human, uh, ex, um, experiments, they're all going to tell you, Hey, you go to China and you do that. That's where you get away from all these, um, you know, regulations that we have here. You want to do something? You go to China. So they're doing all these tests. And what's the one thing that we've, we've heard throughout history that can, can greatly benefit a war? Super uh, soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. Modified super soldiers. You can make them to where they don't feel pain. How insane is that? They, they made this project and they called it the Tracer RNA Chimera. And you know what a Chimera is, right? In mythology? Uh, I thought it was Chimera, but yeah, that's what the, um, in, in the, in the mythology and all of that, that's what, uh, people who are, uh, alchemists, where they do the equivalent exchange and all of that, a Chimera is where they blend a human and an animal together, right? Right. So th- that's essentially what it is. And that's what they're doing in China. This is part of the Chinese dream. How are they going to exactly take over the world? Yeah, they have a, a big army. And I think, isn't it technically bigger than ours? Like they have more soldiers. Uh, yeah, it's it's been it's, it's larger. Massive, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it was larger even in like World War Two. If you're just counting, like, number of soldiers. Right, right. The sheer number of soldiers is, is massive that they have. But it's always been known that we have tougher soldiers. <laughs> well, <laughs> depends how you count toughness. Well, I mean, take a couple of uh, green berets around, right? You're going to get your mission done. But when you start messing with DNA, you start modifying your soldiers to where they can't feel pain. They continuously go on doing the job. 
Uh, they don't complain about being tired, hungry, whatever it is, right? They can create the perfect soldier. And they're going to have an army, perfect soldiers. And this is all part of the Chinese dream. Hmm. Hmm. And 2049 yeah, isn't too far away. No. But here's another thing that's kind of interesting. Uh, one of the results of the uh, one, um, what do you call it? The one child policy that they had in China is that parents preferred having a son over a daughter. So they would select which children they would have, uh, you know, they would abort the female child and and try and have a male child. So as a result of that, the um, Chinese population, I believe, uh, of the younger generations is of uh, soldier uh, age, you know, of the military age. Is currently at uh, three to three to two, I think, is the ratio. So that means there would be one fifth extra males uh, of the Chinese army, which would be considered uh, fi- that could become the Chinese army, which would be considered expendable. If they lost one fifth of their males, then their ratio would become one to one, which would be acceptable, right? So, kind of a thought I had popped into my head. So if you, <laughs> you started having this um, genetic alteration, because that wouldn't necessarily have to start at birth, would it? No. Uh, you can start it at birth, and, um, you know, you, you can grow the baby. Have you seen, you Obviously, you've seen Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. Where they well, have the Clone Wars, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> essentially two, what it is. They have the big cloning facility. <laughs> That's essentially what it is. But it, it wouldn't be necessarily a cloning facility. No, 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 it would no. just be like... Uh, you would you would more have like a breeding, like, more like a breeding facility where they yeah. Where you can, what do they call those things where uh, people go in uh, fertilization clinics or something like that? It would be like you have a fertilization clinic, but uh, what they do is they just they they enhance the uh, alter. I don't know exactly know if enhance is a proper word. The the DNA and then uh, and then you just have a super soldier child. That's uh, that's definitely something that's uh, happening right now. They've already tested it on, you know, mice, etc., all of that, uh, obviously. But uh, there are rumors that they have already started uh, their human trials. Well, it would be if you look at all the crazy and shady things that have been done throughout history. The idea that somebody has not somewhere started human uh, <laughs> genetic testing somewhere is absolute asinine if you think that that hasn't started somewhere the question is how much have they like how far has it gone right how how much have they progressed in the human trials how much was it uh, successful it's a question but uh one of the main concerns of this and, and it's interesting because you, you see the same results in bodybuilders where they uh you know bodybuilders they take these uh, extra um supplements let's call them right yeah. To, to grow their muscles bigger, right? Yeah. Um, but they've noticed that, you know, uh, bodybuilders that do that, they tend to do more harm on their, on their organs and, and causes them certain organs to shrink, right? When they, when they overtake these supplements. Yeah. It's kind of the, the, the body is a well balanced system. And if you can't just go ahead and slap on something. Uh, so we, a good example is you, you have you heard of Killdozer, the the fellow who took a boat, built um, a bulldozer, armored it up, uh, and went and bulldozed the city in Oklahoma. I think it was. 
I have never heard of this. Oh, okay. Well, that, that that's a very long story, and there's no time to go over over all of it. But a lot of people in in this community kind of know about Killdozer, so I'm, I'm assuming. Or if you haven't, you know, it's, it's a very interesting thing to research. One of the issues that he ran into um, that came up is his engine overheated on the dozer because when he armored it with concrete, he added so much weight to the to the um, bulldozer that it just overwhelmed the engine. It's kind of like that. If you put a lot of strain on the human body in one area, it's going to cause extra wear and tear on a different part. Exactly. It's, it's, if you cause any sort of an imbalance inside the human body, it's going to cause an issue somewhere, somehow. And then how many medical issues have you heard of that were caused by the body um, not getting enough uh, si- um, signals? Like somebody mm. has a sickness where their body sensors of some kind stop working and it stops producing certain certain things. So what they do is they give you pills that trigger your body to produce other things. A, a good uh, example is diabetes. You know, they give you insulin shots because your body has stopped uh, producing mm-hmm. insulin, or right. I, I don't exactly know how that all works. I've never, but I, I I have studied, but it's been a while. I think the I don't know if they are triggering uh, your body to produce more insulin. I think that what you're you're doing is you're uh, the the what they inject is a insulin regulator is what they're injecting. Mm. They're not actually injecting insulin, right? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've never looked into that. So it, it's one of those things that if something gets off. even just like a little sensor inside your body gets off and it's not detecting chemicals or that sort of thing. And you have, you start having an imbalance and your body's not properly regulating things and it throws your body into all sorts of issues. So it's the same sort of thing. If you start souping up on (laughs) one thing and you start over boosting your muscles, it's going to produce extra types of different chemicals as your muscles grow and use. And it's just not what your body was designed to To handle withstand is, is a, your body type, your body size and all of that was meant to handle within certain parameters and you've extended beyond what your body can compete with. It's like, well, you know, when you exercise, your body produces, your, your muscles produce toxins and if there's so much inside of your muscles that is beyond what your body can handle, you know, it's just you've overwhelmed the, <laughs> the chemical factory. Right. And that and that's what they found doing these these trials, especially when when they um, did them initially on on mice. So what they would do is when they changed the DNA of mice. By the way, they did this with black uh, black haired mice. They changed it to where they're white haired mice, and then they uh, they added um, extra protein so that they can be fit. <laughs> so you have these like you have these hulked out uh, looking mice, right? Mm-hmm. But they found that the life expectancy was significantly reduced. But not mm-hmm. only that, when they when they autopsied it, they found that their organs were extremely tiny. Hmm. So they're trying to figure out the balance with them. yeah, and, and they're trying to see because not okay. So like this is why we do experiments on animals before we do on humans, right? They're not exactly going to be the same result, but they're going to be pretty similar. It's it's kind of if you if you think about. Like any sort of a, a video game or is that sort of a, not, not necessarily a video game, but like you're trying to create a painting. I don't know if you've ever tried uh, doing human 
size, um, not human size, but human proportionate art where you're trying to paint a human and you're trying to get, make sure that the head's not too big and that sort of a thing. Sure. I do portrait drawings all the time. <laughs> it's um, very difficult just even in trying to get the physical shape right because if you like you make the nose too big then it makes it a, 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 another issue further on and it turns into this ripple effect that causes you to create something that looks unusually bulbous in sure the- <laughs> you're gonna have a mutant drawing on your hands yeah but yeah it's a bit it, different it, because you can use the riley method to get the proportions exactly correct but i, I know what you're saying i know where you're going <laughs> and it, that's just like cosmetic drawing could you imagine if you're doing something as intricate as um, DNA shifting and you're trying to shape something without even seeing it? It's. But here's my question. Do you think the Chinese, uh, I would say more specifically, do you think the Chinese army cares whether or not the life expectancy is going to be reduced? Oh, absolutely not. No. No, if they can get the results that they do in mice and humans, they would 100 percent agree to use those uh, subjects because mm-hmm. like you said and in their eyes to, some of them are expendable another thing to expect is if you're doing military conquest you let's say they take over a, a neighboring country they can take that um or or uh did you read any about their belt and road initiative uh, well, it's a way that they uh, – it's it's a way where they give out loans to developing countries, to the governments, and – Oh, are, are you talking about what they the, – the kind of deal that they had with Australia? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah kind okay. of like that. But okay. they have it with many different, many different um, places. And it's called their Belt and Road Initiative, the entire program, where they try to gain um, soft power throughout the world. So if they decide to go from using soft power and soft influence to using hard influence and they move in with um, militaries and they conquer one of these places or they, I don't know, come in and assist governance of a place that is in turmoil and make them a puppet, do you think that they care more about those civilians or less about those civilians? So who why would they care if they have foreign super soldiers that maybe will have a 40 year or about life expectancy decrease, you know? So especially if you're, you're moving into some sort of a, a developing country where you have people who are desperate and will do anything for the right price, you know, it's like, yeah, you give your life, we'll make sure that your family gets appropriate amount of food. Well, that is a stellar deal for somebody whose family is starving to death, you know? Absolutely. You would agree to that. You would agree to that in a heartbeat. And all you have to do is become super buff and who has a problem (laughs) with that. And you get to fight for the glory of the country, of your new leader. And as long as your new leader isn't too awfully bad, I mean, there's a lot of people that would go for that. And there is. And I, I think that's the scary part, too. I think the... I think the possibility of China going this route is very high, but I think I think they would do this no matter if they had this program going or not. Um, well, I think because I think that they here, well, here, well, they, here. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think they would do this regardless because if you look at uh, if you look at uh, the recent uh, history in China, President Xi Jinping. Hope I'm saying that right. Xi Jinping has you know told its its Chinese citizens. It's he's told all of China that 
Yeah, he wants to restore the glory days of China. He wants the Ameri- the Chinese dream for all Chinese citizens, right? He doesn't want to see one single Chinese uh, citizen to be uh, kind of how they've been, you know, like poor, starving, and all that. But if you look at uh, the actual Chinese citizens, the actual in- like actual interviews with Chinese citizens, they're like, yeah, everything he's promised, none of that has been going on, mm-hmm. and they don't believe that it will happen, even if he uh, is successful with this twenty forty nine plan. Yeah, well, they've tried very hard. Um, if you look look at um, you know they built, if you look at a lot of the infrastructure that they built, they went and built big cities, and they've expanded on cities, and they've built humongous uh, skyscrapers and that sort of thing. Uh, but you will find in China, there are huge apartment complexes that have no tenant and it's just falling into disrepair and that sort of a thing. There's just been large steps for growth that just haven't quite fleshed out because there was a lot of grand grandiose plans that were made, but they were never cashed in on. They just there was like plan that okay the population's going to grow in this city by this much and there's going to be a huge bustling factory so we need to prepare for that and plan for that and it's just that the things never ha- panned out that direction yeah there's what several Chinese cities that are just ghost towns mm-hmm. it's uh, it's kind of insane so yeah that was that, that was my research for 2049 the Chinese dream and that's around the corner so mm-hmm. we'll see how that plays uh, there, out. there's there's one thing that i am going to say is the, another hurdle that they're coming up against that i don't know maybe you'll have um something that might be you might think um because i ran across this recently i i think it was like two days ago and it was funny because i wasn't even trying to research for um the chinese plan but it was plans of the chinese population crisis that they're going to have because of their their one child policy you know that they have the um much smaller new generation and they have a very quickly uh so what they're having is as they're they're that's resulted in less people being born and a shrinking young young demographic but the old but what used to be the young demographic is now aging and that group was larger than the previous old group because you know the population was going up so each new older generation is larger than the first generation. But now they're trying to reduce the young group. So what you're having is for the first time, the young group is going to be smaller than the older group, right? And that happens to every modernizing country. And we're having it to a certain extent. The, you know, the baby boomers are going to be the, a extremely large proportionate group to, you know, the, the millennials and that sort of a thing. So but they're having that issue in China at a much more pronounced rate. Um, so where they go from having a small um, – so in America, it's projected to be like a 60-year period that it's that this transition happens over. So it's a fairly slow okay. transition. Uh-huh. In China, it's expected to be a 20-year transition. Really? Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a huge um, shakeup for them. The same thing happened to Japan. You know, Japan – is I think the second oldest nation or something like that by population. If you were to you know find the median age, which means that the older population is much larger than the small, uh, it's much larger than the young population. Interesting. And that had a pronounced effect on Japan. You know, Japan throughout the 70s experienced a huge um, 
boom in production and that sort of thing where they became where people were projecting them to be a world superpower to rival the united states as well back then but then this population curve that happened this i, I don't know actually what caused it they didn't have a one-child policy but i, I forget <laughs> what what happened but it, it was one of the main contributing factors to the rapid decline in gross of the chinese uh, japanese <laughs> um, <laughs> production so japan right. China, yeah the CCP is going to have to reckon with this massive production killer that's headed their way. So they're going to have to be struggling to fight through that at the same time that they're going to plan to. I'm sure they have some kind of plan for that. When it, it, when it, it's, it's either going to be amazingly catastrophic or amazingly effective. I really don't see it going one way or the other. Yeah, I don't see it landing one right in the middle. I see it going one extreme or the other. Well, you know what I also just thought of? What? How are they even having a new generation if if uh, all the females that are born are killed? So, um, well, like, they, like all of them. It's it's mm. just that it's it, it's a two to uh, two to three ratio. So is it is it is it the uh, parents' decision or is it the yeah, government's the decision, like to keep a female or the male? It's the parents. The parents. Still, there's got to be uneven numbers there. I mean, obviously, you can have more boys oh, yeah, than yeah, girls, yeah. right? Yeah. So, it, it, so like, it's projected are, are, are that they like sharing? one out of three. No, no, no. One out of three Chinese men of the current generation of that we are, the, the Chinese millennial men, are not going to have a spouse. Really? Wow. So, yeah. That's, that's that, so that weird. Look, that's, it's, I don't know. I think that that's. Not going to be the brightest of futures for a, a Chinese man. I suppose they could always uh, go to a different country for a bride and then come back, right? I suppose. Take foreign brides? I don't know exactly how that would work, but I'm sure they will try. Maybe, they, uh, it'll um, be... maybe a Russian mail-in bride for the Chinese man, since, you know, they're pretty close allies. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'd have to... I'd have to... We will see for sure. I think that that'll definitely come up in the in the in in the next twenty years. That'll be in the news or somewhere. There'll be a stereotype of you know the the Chinese bride not being Chinese, um, and we'll, we'll probably figure it out. Like oh, you know, that's the classic story of like a Chinese man and a something another, um, you know. I don't know. I, I think I, I'd like to hear the, the opinion of a, a young Chinese man. Like, where where do you, if, if you had to pick a wife from any nationality of the world, where would you want your bride to come from? Realistically. <laughs> yeah, no, no, um, Icelanders or something. Maybe they'll keep it fairly, you know, fairly close, uh, and maybe pick brides from like Thailand or something. And the Philippines. Or, yeah, yeah, the Philippines. I don't know. I don't know how um well of how well they get along because I do know that in <laughs> the Orient, well. <laughs> not very well. I I know that in the Orient they have strong feelings about neighboring countries because they have relationships that go back thousands and thousands of years and a lot of times the order a relationship gets doesn't get better it gets worse. Yeah, here's what I could say about Thailand and the Philippines. They love Americans. In the Philippines especially, they have road signs that are in English. So and I mean obviously there's a, like 
there's a ton of retired military guys that go over to, to the Philippines for a bride, for a much younger bride, and they're totally huh. cool with it. They, they, you know, they come over to America with their new uh, American husband and all the money that they get, they send back to the Philippines. That's, that's how it's been for quite a long time now. Well, you know, the Philippines used to be part of America, right? It's, it's an interesting... They, they don't have a good relationship with China is what I'm saying. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, places like Taiwan obviously don't. Um, I think, I don't know. How do you think it goes with North Korea? <laughs> do you think they would band together for world domination and then eventually China no. just like backstabs North Korea? No. no. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't think so either. Kim Jong-un that's never how things kind of, I don't know. So here's the thing. The North Korean um, military budget is the same size as the New York police force budget yeah it's insane both both the new york police budget is astronomically huge and also for a city and the uh and and yeah of course the the uh a new york police officer gets paid a lot more than a uh, north korean soldier so personnel is a ton cheaper yeah it's crazy well, this yeah, would be that's that's a crazy fact that I bumped into. <laughs> that, that, also, that's insane. That 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 fun fact is right up there with um, Pepsi was once upon a time like the world's fifth largest submarine navy. What what was Pepsi? Pepsi, the soda Pe- brand yes. company. Yes. What? Yes. You want to know another crazy fact? <laughs> Yes, I don't know how crazy this is, but it, it it was hilarious when I when I found out. Uh, the Chinese president uh, Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. big fan of Game of Thrones, uh, <laughs> huge hmm. fan of Game of Thrones. Every time there's a meeting, that is um, before and after I don't know, concerning slightly. <laughs> <laughs> no, here here here's the story. Whenever because he doesn't, he's a very busy man, right? He's always in meetings and and you know right. doing right. whatever the Chinese president does. Um, so what he did was he gathered a uh, a team to take the Game of Thrones series, condense it down for him so that he can he can watch it faster on his breaks. <laughs> Because he loves Game of Thrones so much, it's. Uh, I was like, wow. Well, that's the, that's. The, I guess that's the difference between somebody who has a busy schedule, like the the president of a communist party, and a fellow like me. Because when I'm watching a show that I like, I slow it down. I take it off at double speed. <laughs> really? <laughs> have have watching, you ever seen Game of Thrones? I have not. It's such a fantastic. I have heard. Uh, I, but I'm recently, I recently just started watching it with my wife. So like, I didn't see it when it first came out. I didn't see it when it blew up. Uh, you know, cause there's a lot of people that's like, you haven't seen Game of Thrones. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's quite like a lot of other great ones. Cause you know, it has all of the same principles of every other thing that blew up. Like everyone talks about it, like Lord of the Rings oh, and yeah. Star Wars. It's like got the same following and everything. And of course... Just like Lord of the Rings, everybody's like, the books were better. So (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I think the show would be much more appealing to people who like dragons and every two seconds show a pair of boobs. Like, I I think that's why the show's like such a massive hit. It's just just boobs and dragons. Boobs and dragons. Like, every scene. It's kind of like um, Fast and Furious. Uh, It's for people who like cars and girls. (laughs) Well, it's not really nudity in Fast and Furious. 
But it, it's got a, a bunch of... Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot of girls in tank tops and at, you know, at uh, racing tracks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's got lots of powerful cars. So if you're... <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very similar, but, but yeah. So it's it's the fantasy um, version. So if you're if you're into if you're a petrol head, then it's Fast and Furious. And if you're a a dragon pervert, fantasy sort of a fellow, then it Game of Thrones. Interesting. Well, you know another interesting fact, Eric. I think it's time for a break. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, time for a break. And when we come back, we're uh, Conrad is going to talk about uh, some prepping, some updates on prepping. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Oh, f- final interesting fact: uh, Xi Jinping does not like Winnie the Pooh. Oh, because he's always compared to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I knew about that one. He hates <laughs> yeah. it. All right, he does kind of have a Winnie the Pooh body. Yeah, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. And we're back from the break. So Conrad, take it away. All right. So as you were, you were, you know, you were talking about the Chinese and um, their plan. And I don't know if we kind of went over this just to clear it up. Mm-hmm. Your opinion, like, you know, the Chinese, you think our, our conclusion was that's their plan and they're going to go for it. But mm-hmm. we were both very skeptical of their ability to actually pull it off. Correct? Well, about- y- yes and no. We'll we'll have to see over the next few years mm-hmm. uh, if anything else develops, if if we hear more stories about CRISPR and all that, but I, I, I'm leaning towards that. Yeah, I think they can do it. I think they will pull it off. Okay. So at the same time that this is going to be going on, there is kind of an interesting, cause you know, it's building up 2049. And I've talked about one of the issues that they're going to have with population. There is building up in this build up time of theirs, a certain issue that's supposed to be starting in 2017 and is going to be continuing for, for an unknown length of time. Have you heard of solar cycles? I think I know what you're talking about, but uh, elaborate. So, you know, the sun works on a very well um, cycle known as the 11-year um, cycle. And it's something that's very well recorded. Uh, every 11 years it is, is the length of the sun. It's a cycle the sun goes through and it has... Um, increase of energy output and decrease. Right, right. And, it, and it's accompanied with sunspots, which are the result of the sun being a ball of gas. And the ball of gas in the cycle goes into extreme tor- turmoil at certain parts. And as it twists and turns and shifts and makes swirls in the gas, it'll make these hot lines it, as it, as it, as it, you know, shifts. There'll be, uh, see the people don't actually know what causes it. It's one of those unknown things, but they know that it happens for sure, but they don't know exactly why. My theory is as the sun heats up and goes into the hotter section, it increases in heat, which causes uh, that to disperse the heat through the rest of the um, the cause, you know, things to expand and shrink and increase of pressure. And that causes things to move faster and almost boil. So as it has that increase of motion, it it causes the, the swirling things, which has hotter and colder parts of the, the sun being shifted around, which leads to sunspots. The sunspots it's kind of like a imagine a cinnamon swirl, right? In bread, there's the the spots that have cinnamon are darker, the sun spots, and then there's the the hotter spots, which are just like the regular bread. 
as it gets hotter, it 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 makes that more pronounced uh, markings as it as it moves around, which leads to some parts being lighter than others and darker than others. So so even though there's colder spots, these sunspots, which are considered cold spots, mm-hmm. that it's actually when the sun's at its hottest because that's when it's shifting around, which is actually what creates the sunspots. Does that okay. make sense? Okay. Yeah, I'm following along. So it's um, an 11-year period, and it's pronounced markings is sunspots. Throughout the the history of, uh, the, I guess, the second millennia, the second millennia, Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of people recording on the number of sunspots. And from that, by counting the sunspots that people were on the on the sun's surface, um, they've determined that the, the sun goes through even longer cycles than just the regular 11-year cycles. And those are called maximum and minimums, these parts of the cycle, because uh, the activity kind of uh, on a graph, if you were to graph – the the activity the overall activity uh, the the rises on the on that part of the graph or that section of the timeline would be called maximums and when it dips down those are called minimums and those are all given different names um, and when it's just a flat section uh, generally those don't actually aren't actually given names the only name like the crests and the the valleys so right now we are at the end of what's known as a maximum. Uh, the modern maximum, and it lasted from uh, 1914 to 2008. Okay. And what began after that is called the modern minimum. NASA's projected it's going to be a minimum. 2019? Uh, uh, no, no. Well, it started, right? It started in 2008, but it, it they really didn't notice that it had started till 2017. Because, you know, you really okay. can't tell the trend of something uh-huh. until the trend's been going for a while. So they've they've arbitrarily put the cutoff at 2008 as, you know, the pronounced part of the, um, the trough. So <laughs> what does that actually mean for humanity, right? Like, so what? The sun has increased output, in, increased... Um, yeah, that sort of a thing. Let me tell you about the minimums that have been mentioned before, uh, that have been recorded before. Mm-hmm. There, there's one that's very similar uh, in name, so that even though the name sounds different, I'm going to try and. It's called the Meandern. M A U N D E R. It's very okay. close sounding to modern. So let's see, uh-huh. how would I say that? Meandern, modern <laughs> minimum. <laughs> So I don't know how I'm going to distinguish these two between the modern and the modern. <laughs> okay. But it it caused what's called the mini ice age, the little ice age. Have you heard of it? Yes. Uh, so reading from the uh, online encyclopedia Britannic, Britannica, uh, there's a little section uh, written by John P. Ralfrey. Uh, the little ice age is best known for its effects in Europe and the North Atlantic region. Uh, Alpine glaciers advanced far below their previous and present limits, obliterating farms and villages in Switzerland, France, and elsewhere. Mm. Frequent cold winters and wet summers led to crop failures and famine over much of northern and central Europe. In addition, North Atlantic cod fisheries declined as uh, ocean temperatures fell in the the 17th century. In 
the 15th century. So it's still the same thing because it lasted for two centuries. Uh, let me actually give you the the numbers of how long this um, previous, I'll call it the Ice Age minimum. How's that? That's good to me. It uh, lasted from uh, 1645 to 1715. So that's actually not 10 years. It's, um, well, I, I guess that's the height of the Ice Age. So th- that would be slightly under 100 years, this minimum of sun activity. It, North colonies in Greenland were cut off from the rest of the Nordic civilization. The Western colony of Greenland collapsed through starvation. Iceland became isolated from Scandinavia. Um, as uh, they essentially became ice locked, um, and they couldn't, they had sea travel became very difficult because you could only get in and out of the ports during the summer. So when all travel to this island, all travel and communication ended during the winter. Uh, in North America, Native American cultures um, recorded it as a decline of agriculture and it may, being very difficult. In Japan, um, winters uh, dropped to okay, uh, six degrees Fahrenheit, uh-huh. and summers were marked by excessive rains and bad harvests. So it's not really that it's going to be freezing. It's just, oh, of course, I guess if you're Scandinavian, that's a big deal. <laughs> but in the more moderate climates, such as uh, is most of the world's population, it doesn't lead to so much hard winters as it does poor crops. That's the big deal. Is it crop issues and famines as is it takes off a few months, like not a, uh, let's say a month off of the uh, end and a month off of the beginning of the, the planting season. Mm-hmm. If you ask any farmer, what would happen if somebody shortened your um, planting season by a, a, a month? You couldn't plant till a month later. And let's say you couldn't harv you had to finish harvesting a month earlier in the same year. How, how would that affect your crop? I'm sure that'll kill the crops. It won't kill the crops, but it will reduce the number of crops we'll be able to produce in a year by almost half. So, so there is some damage. That's a that's a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's there's a few farmers that I saw they were talking about it, uh, and they said that that's going to be some of the hardest. They, they expect to see some very hard years ahead um, because of what's happening with the sun. Yes, if if it is to be as severe as it could be. It's it's actually very hard to predict this sort of thing since we actually don't know a lot about it because there's been not as severe minimums that have come across. There was the Dalton minimum that was only 3 it was only 30 years from 19, uh, from 1790 to 1820. Uh this one's much better recorded, but it's the the, the last minimum we've had. Um, in the Dalton Minimum, the river that runs through London, the Thames River, froze <laughs> solid. Um, wow. In, uh, in North America, um, a lot of the farmers such as uh, – and, you know, um, Benjamin Franklin created the Farmer's Almanac, right? I suppose. Uh, I don't know. Or he had a lot to do with the Farmer's Almanac. You know, there was, there was a lot of – that was the beginning of agricultural um, – issues where they would tell people a lot about what to expect from the climates of the next year. That's when they really started getting into uh, that sort of a prediction of seasons and that sort of a thing. And there was a lot of recording of um, 
climates. And that is you know, where we get the majority of our knowledge about uh, solar minimums. And it wasn't a severe one, but it was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> so when, when are we expected to have this massive effect? Um, so if you're looking at it, maybe in the next, they, they say, uh, they, they call it ADAPT 2030, if you are if you want to Google it. So they're saying it probably is about 10 years or so, you should start to see the effects. I'm going to look that up. Um, oh, there's a bunch of stuff that popped up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm, and this is going to affect everyone. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's going to be as area. horrific as, you know, the Ice Age, Little Ice Age minimum was. But it could result in a shortage of food, world shortage of food, possibly. I see. That's the biggest concern. Um. So as of right now, since uh-huh. if you're looking back from now in 2007 – um, corn prices have doubled and wheat prices have doubled and a lot of other food prices have doubled. You talking about lately because of this? Uh, yeah. The, I haven't really noticed price differences, but I don't. I don't do the majority of the shopping anyway. You don't, but that's, um, farmers who have, um, been, you know, that I, I was listening to, they were saying, Hey, this makes a big difference on us because they, they know it's like they have small increases of crop failure. So a small increase of crop failure means that they have tighter margins to run on. And in some cases, they have to start you know, raising prices and changing things around. Well, when they change around that little bit, um, you know, it gets tighter in one area, then that actually leads to it making it harder. <laughs> it's, it's a compounding issue where you have – they have less crops to sell. So what they do is they have to uh, cut costs and that sort of thing, which leads to a reduce in more production. So they're not able to produce as well as they were as efficiently – in an area where they were already not producing well. <laughs> okay. So they, they're saying that you could see, you know, it's all speculation about how bad the food shortage could be. But some of them are saying, hey, this this could be pretty serious. It's definitely going to be something. It's not going to be unnoticeable. But is it just going to be double the food prices for the next 30 years? And, and that wouldn't be a Jeez. big killer. Well, is it is it still affecting these uh, modified plants that like like Monsanto's? Is it still affecting them as well? You know, I, I, I would imagine so. Uh, what are these Monsantos you're referring to? The uh, the ge- the uh, genetically modified um, ingredients, like you know, like they make the um, well, gen- whatever these genetically modified corn and all this. Yeah, stuff. yeah, definitely. Because what's happening is reduced. What's going? What's the really causing the issue is not that the seasons are getting shorter. It's that the sunlight is not as energetic. There is actually less sunlight, so photosynthesis is not creating as much. Um, um, production. Well, what if what if so they do that artificially? Well, they still can't pump up the amount of sunlight. They, at the end of the day, there is going to be a reduction in sunlight, and when there's a reduction in sunlight, that just overall is less energy for plants to turn into food. Because that's the whole basis of farming. You plant things, they grow, absorb sunlight, and produce food. If you reduce the input of sunlight, there is going to be a reduction of food, regardless of what you kind of a plant you have. Now, there's some things you can do to help mitigate it, but there will be a reduction, regardless. Huh, okay. 
But they can't even no. they can't even introduce some, some kind of artificial sunlight. Well, I'm sure or, they could, or it's but that's just not going to be as effective. Well, if you put in an artificial sunlight, the way that you would have to do that is put up um, growing lights, is what they're called, and then you would have to power these lights all the uh, not all the time, but you would have to be powering these lights to so it's going to be sunlight. more of a cost. Yeah, that would that would definitely substantially increase the costs. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, we're looking at higher costs. Wow. Um, I think at worst it's higher cost. At no, at best it's higher cost. At worst it's shortage because it's not like the demand for food is going to drop. The demand for food is always going to be there as long as there's people there. So if the demand exceeds the, well, I should say the the supply shrinks below the demand, then you have starvation and famine. And it doesn't matter if you crank the price up really high, you can't eat money. <laughs> Technically. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a little bit of ketchup on there. Mm, that dollar bill will taste mighty fine. <laughs> uh, okay. You know, I got so, like three months supply of ramen right now. No joke. And, well, I filled up my closet with peanut butter. I um, <laughs> Uh, so that's that's my next move. So how so can, that, how can we prep? Ah, just the same way you prep for everything else, really. Um, you could yeah, start but, your own. So let's say this happens. Twenty thirty comes. There's a shortage. Uh-huh. Uh Even if you have prep for the last couple of years, you got a stocked pantry. Realistically, is that going to last you? No. For enough time for no. this supply and demand to go back to normal? No. But what that will allow you to do is, let's say. There's 5 million units of uh, food that needs to be consumed, okay? And the production is currently at a capacity of 7 million, okay? And then the sunlight uh, reduces and the capacity of production drops to 4 million. You have a stocked up pantry and all that, right? Now there's not enough. There's only enough for 4 million uh, people, uh, not 4 million people, but 4 million of these imaginary units of <laughs> uh, consumption people value or whatnot I, i'm you know putting rash um putting in a substitute numbers to try and give it an explanation it, in the famine it'll shrink the amount of consumption down to the amount of the supply okay uh, that's a nice way of saying that you know starvation kills off the access <laughs> <laughs> right if if your food storage can lead you can sustain you through that um period what that means is you have just ensured that you are of the four million unit consumption group that survives that that's what you're hoping for in that scenario another scenario that you could do instead of trying to stock up your pantry is to get a bunch of <sighs> animals <laughs> wild like goats livestock yeah so and what you would do with that is if you had like a herd of goats you can take the goats around and have the go- go- the goats consume things that you can't eat like um plants that are still growing like ivies and that sort of thing and they'll eat that and turn that into goat and you can eat goat so you could create like a livestock that turns inedible foods into actual foods. And by that, by doing so, you're increasing the food supply in that manner. That's uh, another method I was thinking of. Okay. Uh, then there's uh, a more creative ways I would think of um, that I'm calling them is people are talking about creating things like cricket farms. Cricket farms. Because what you can pray eat- tell is a cricket farm? Well, it 
produces lots of crickets. Okay. Are we supposed to eat the crickets? I don't like crickets. I don't like crickets either. (laughs) So. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if there were chocolate-covered crickets. But even then. So, let's say in this hypothetical post-apocalyptic thing is could possibly happen, not saying that it will happen, or even that the modern minimum is going to even cause anything like that. Let's say, though, it does. And let's say at the same time, there's Chinese... um, (laughs) Invasion? uh, (laughs) Trying to happen with Chinese super soldiers. (laughs) How does that complicate things? (laughs) Well, like I said, they don't care about the soldiers, so... Yeah, I... I I'm, I'm sure they could ration out food in. enough. Uh, well, actually, the Chinese Communist Party has had a terrible track record with famine. Never mind, then. <laughs> um, so I'm imagining that this will definitely throw a wrench into whatever plans that they have. If it's bad, then I can pretty much guarantee it's going to shipwreck... Well, here's their, the thing. It's going to be bad for everybody, right? Yes, it's but gonna... I think it's particularly bad in a communist society where the um, where the, the uh, production where the government has seized control of production and the produce from the production is then administered by the CCP to whom the CCP thinks needs it the most deems worthy. Um, which is so, gonna, which is always going to be the higher elites, right? It, it could, yes. But so when the CCP in its early days was trying to modernize, what happened is they were trying to take people away from farming and put them into um, industrial positions like um, steel manufacturers. And there was this terrible breakdown in the communication system where if you produced uh, in the farming area, if you produce a lot of food, then you were rewarded. If you produce little amount of food, you were punished. Well, what happened is there was a famine that hit called the Great Depression. And there was a and it struck the whole world. It was a worldwide thing. As the managers of the farms finished, you know, drawing in their their um, crops, they, you know, tallied it all up and found that their quota was not met. So in order to prevent themselves from getting in trouble, they fictitiously uh, created reports that said we have tons of rice when they didn't. Mm-hmm. So the next level of ch- command got this report that says things are going wonderful. <laughs> when in, and all of these different groups, all all the different farmers, without consulting each other, were all over-reporting the amount of production they were having. Well, they looked at that and said, wait a minute, we're going to have a overproduction of rice. So what we need to do is allocate people away from farming because we're producing too much rice. I see. So in the face of a famine, uh-huh. the smartest decision that they came up with was, let us abandon farming. <laughs> Because it didn't, their system did not promote uh, appropriate uh, balances. Right. It's kind of like if you were to take, um, like we were saying, uh, steroids and give them to a system and it throws the system out of whack. It's kind of one of those things where if you're not letting things organically shift around, you can come up with horrible imbalances that perpetuate problems beyond belief. And that led to a famine that killed 60 million Chinese. Wow. That's terrible. 
Yeah. Huh. Okay. And the famine was not just um, China. Uh, there were, you know, Vietnam, I believe it was. Uh-huh. Uh, there was another, like, another communist group that suffered really bad. They had even worse per capita issue over there in the Orient. There were, there, it, it did not go well. So communism and famine go together like, um, I don't know, fire and dynamite. <laughs> it, it's a good combo, but a bad combo. I, I don't exactly know which one to classify it as. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the Chinese plan is not going to go so well. Okay. So I would imagine that the best thing to do <laughs> is to just do overall general prepping. I, I really don't think that there's a, an issue with starting your own garden and making your own water production because in a famine you do have, because here's another thing about a famine. Um, they noticed in um, solar minimums that rainfall is less. So even if you have, so it's a famine compounded with less water as well. So things like springs will dry up. So there'll be less water too. Yeah. Solar panels will produce a lot less e- electricity. Mm-hmm. I think wind t- turbines will be just fine because I still think that there will be significant amount of temperature changes from the night to the morning right. that will um, cause wind. So you still have wind, won't have solar. Uh And if things got really bad (laughs) and you start, you know, throwing that with any doomsday prep where society's crumbling and the grid goes down and you have lack of water (laughs) and wind is going to be your only power source then. That and one other one that I was thinking, um, and that's uh, wood boilers. Wood boilers? Yeah. It's a, you know, a regular steam engine powered by burning wood. Oh, I see. So, uh, I think, I guess it's just time to talk about regular prep then. Yes. So recently, both of us, since we live in Texas, went through a fairly interesting, um, occurrence. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of y'all who haven't lived in Texas have heard about it. There was a winter storm. Mm -hmm. So Eric lives in a big city and I live in kind of a rural area. Um, Eric... After the snow cleared up, did you, what was the, how long did it take you before you tried venturing out to the nearest place to go shopping for things? Oh, like probably two days. Did you notice any shortages on the shelves? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course we had, we had dairy shortages and meat uh, shortages. There was uh, dry goods available, but not, I wouldn't say a lot. Um, but I heard that the dairy uh, companies that, you know, where uh, this local co- grocery store called H-E-B, it's all over Texas. And uh, apparently where they get their dairy, the uh, the company, they shut down because something happened hmm. with the uh, during the winter storm. So, like, there was no production. Trucks weren't able to get into certain areas because of the the uh, the ice on the roads and stuff like that. So, yeah. It was a big shortage. Uh, did the water ever go out where you were? The city water? Uh, no. Okay. Not for me. There was uh, reports in other areas uh, in my city that did have their water shut down. Uh, apparently, it affected a few areas because, again, the snow stopped a couple of the pumps. Uh, mm-hmm. But I wasn't affected. Yeah. But we did have a boil notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that comes from busted pipes. A lot of busted pipes, I'm guessing, and things getting into the uh, water system from the busted pipes. Contaminating the water. Yeah. 
Um, wh- how was bottled water at the store? Did you notice? Uh, no, I did not because uh, I usually keep about five, six uh, pa- uh, packs. So, you know those uh, big packs of water? Yeah. I they usually have about like three and a half gallons each. So that would have run you about um, five packs. I'm guessing somewhere around 17, 18 gallons of water. 17 and a half gallons of water. I will rely on your math. <laughs> so you're in a household of two and the electricity uh, problem persisted the, the, for what, a week? A solid seven days? Well, uh, the the overall panic of there being snow on the ground. Because <laughs> when it snows, Texans are like, what is this stuff? Yeah, we're not uh, used to it. Uh, yeah, so... It's confusing cold <clears throat> snow. No, 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 no. It's white sand. What is this frigid white snow? A uh, sand on the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the scarcity of everything lasted for about a week, yeah. So, it's about a gallon of water is recommended per person per day. Uh, because, and that's, like, a minimum. That includes, like, all types of water. And you had running water throughout the entire thing, so you really didn't even... that You you were well prepared for that sort of a, a duration. <laughs> uh, pl- um, yeah, plenty of water. Because for seven days, that would have ran you 14 gallons, and that would be if you had no water at all. Um, so, I guess you wouldn't notice. Because <laughs> out here in the rural area, we still don't have bottled water in available quantities. Really? Yeah. It's like it's coming back, but it's still very low amounts. Is there a limit? There's a limit. God, that sucks. Yeah, I have uh, what you call a um, club membership to one of the big warehouses. So there's Costco's in my in my city and there's a Sam's Club. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a membership to both, actually. But normally <laughs> what I do, normally, right, I go out and I get three cases of water mm-hmm. and I just have them in my garage because I drink bottled water. I drink a lot of water. You know this, yeah. Cameron. I know that. So you, I you just should, you should definitely <laughs> if if for those who who don't watch the Patreon or listen to the Patreon thing, like uh, <laughs> we have frequent water breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I stock up on water. I got a lot of water, so I did not notice uh, an impact for myself. Uh, so uh, where I am. Uh, we don't have a municipal. We do have a municipal water system, but I'm well away from that. I was gonna say, yo, you got one in your city. I know because I, I use them when I um, live there. But most of the surrounding area, like uh, like half the residents of this area, have the municipal uh, water system. Uh, the rest of them have individual uh, water wells. The current well that I'm on is poorly managed. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a group, a, uh, I guess a, what do they call that? A sub something. And um, anyway, there's, there's like a home aso- uh, association, homeowners association. And uh, there's a, a well system that goes to all the, um, all the people at the home association. And the person who's in control of controlling the well doesn't actually even know any, the basics of, of a water well. So that's terrible. Can, yeah. So <laughs> the, the pump froze and it busted. <laughs> ah, that's bad. And, and then they got that repaired, but then they don't know how to operate the, the well. So they were running it dry. Uh, they got air in the line and they burnt the, the wow. pump up. It was, they did not do a very good job. And then once they got that all running, 
there was half the water pressure that it should be. And they like, well, at least it's running. And I guess <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. If you have half a water pressure, that means that there's something wrong. The most common culprit being a leak, especially in an area where there's been frozen water pipes. <laughs> so they pumped hundreds of gallons of water <laughs> all Ooh, over the wow. ground. Yeah, not not the best ran water pump. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> so yeah, I was without water for a few days, but I happened to have a rainwater backup, which never ran out of water, but did free shut once, <laughs> which is not a problem I ever anticipated on having. No, uh, I, I I can clearly say everybody in Texas was not prepared. <laughs> I have had about a hundred gallons of rainwater, and then. We had, uh, I'm going to say somewhere around 40 gallons of regular bottled water. Uh, and we actually didn't use up all the bottled water, but we got close. Well, that's good. At least you had something. Yeah. I, I We could always use the rainwater if necessary, but you would have to run it through the filter, which I have right. not quite constructed yet. And then you would have to boil it. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a process. We had an interesting experience. So I guess, uh, I guess we were just, I just wanted to go over lessons that I've learned. Um, one, I need even more rainwater. I need to make that filter. And another big one, I need to stockpile cooking oil because I ran out of cooking oil. I had plenty of food stockpiled. Well, sort of, because, you know, there had been the pandemic scare last year and I didn't restock it fully after that. Uh, namely, I uh, ran out of peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> so when this thing came around, I only had like the one can of peanut butter in the pantry. Oh no. Did you, it did you go through out. it? Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> I was out of, without peanut butter for like a week. Oh, that's, did you go with through, did you go through withdrawals? I did. I, I, I had cravings for peanut butter. So right now, um, I have stocked up about gonna say seven gallons of peanut butter uh so far <laughs> since then nice since the peanut butter is back in stock now uh, <laughs> and uh, other lessons i burnt up one of my emergency um cooker um deals you know when you when camper camper cookers you know when you go backpacking you have those little bitty metal canisters that you can cook out of it was the, the kind that you snap off this little bitty heat pill and you lay it onto the, the center of the piece and you light this dry fuel on fire. It's not one of the wet fuel cans, which are more popular these days. It was one of the, uh, I guess, fairly older ones. And it had rusted. I had I guess we've had, had that thing for almost 15 years now. And had that since I was really young. And... Yeah, it rusted, I guess, enough that the when we put it under fairly regular use again, we <laughs> burnt a hole clean through the bottom of it. Wow. I so, bet that I bet that was a, a sucky moment, huh? <laughs> sort of. I was like, oh gosh, I might have to go outside and use regular firewood to cook food with because we were without power and water. Um, well, running water, I should say. Uh, kerosene heater worked all right. <laughs> So, yeah, overall, it went fairly smoothly, but definitely learned I need to 
come up with a better way of cooking, um, perhaps indoors, because the main reason I did not do outside cooking is because it was cold and I didn't want to go outside. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any means to cook inside of that if that happens again. So I just I need to get something. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't worry about it, or maybe I should. A part of me really wants a wood fire stove, but uh, I'm renting, so installing a belly pot stove is not, not really, ideal. Yeah, it's like, why would I do that? Hold part of it. Hold that thought for a second, Connor. I'm gonna take a thirty second break because I I can't hold it. <laughs> <laughs> Too much water. Too much water. Be right back. Okay, as you were. So, I guess my big takeaways are, I really don't think that there's much I can do about the camping cooker thingy. It was a very useful little cooker until I destroyed it. So, maybe... Oh, also, also, I uh, discovered that my MREs had gone out of date, some of them. MREs? Yeah. What's that? Meals ready to eat. It's a military ration. So, uh, this might be useful information for you, Eric, if you ever have MREs, but... Your mic uh, sounds a little weird. Oh, sorry. There you go. Just uh, mispositioned. <laughs> <laughs> if if you ever have MREs, the, they don't have an expiration date. They have a manufacture date, and they're supposed to be used within five years of uh, manufacture. How long ago did you get them? Uh, like eight. Jeez. Well, not all of them. What, what, but really, didn't you do an experiment recently where you lived on rations? Yeah, but that that was a little different. Those were not MREs. Those were ration bars. Ration bars. I know you showed them to me. I think you brought them over once. Those are those are not MREs. Did but did, did you have any of those during this? I I don't I did not. I those were the only ones that I I I never had those before, and I bought them for the test, and then I have I ate them all, and then I never bought any any again. <laughs> Would they're you not, buy those again, though? Yeah, yeah, I would. They're um, they're very useful for you know emergencies, emergencies. <laughs> um, but they're not so good. What they're good for is if you just want to bunker down somewhere. They're invented for life rafts. If you're sitting out in the middle of the ocean with no land in sight, you're not doing any rowing. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting. This is supposed to give you the bare minimum to survive. So it's not for things like if you're in a survival area and you're going out and chopping down wood and that sort of thing. It doesn't provide you the calories for that. Um, But if you're just uh, sitting in a basement waiting for nuclear fallout uh, to decay a little bit before you come out, (laughs) it's fine for that. Um, But if you're in the freezing cold your body's going to require more calories to keep its body temperature normal. So it wouldn't work so great for freezing temperatures, but yeah, I definitely buy them again. There's nothing seriously wrong with them mm-hmm. and they're compact and they store well. They're, they're all right. So w- when you had no power and no running water, what did you eat during that time? Uh, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, protein bars, um, bit of canned soup, um, uh, all the remaining fresh vegetables we had, um, <laughs> 
uh, hamburgers because, you know, I have a lot of frozen deer meat. So what we did to keep the refrigerator at regular uh, temperature without power inside of a house that we kept at regular temperature through a kerosene heater, but instead of keeping the refrigerator from overheating, uh, I would take deer meat and put it in the refrigerator and it would thaw out while keeping the refrigerator um, at refrigerator temperature. So I had a lot of hamburgers. (laughs) You had deer hamburgers. Yeah. The, hey, hey. <laughs> here's here's a good thing um, to do is you, 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 you know what smash burger is, right? Yeah, I know what a smash burger you is. You make a smash burger and you layer that cheese in on each layer. And that makes it. It's, makes it more tolerable. Yeah, it does it by a long shot. You know what? If, <laughs> if I had no electricity... And, and no running water, and that was like the only the only thing I had to eat. Then yeah, I would eat it. Yeah, and here's the thing: you put that on. Um, well, we actually ran out of bread, so we were eating just hamburgers straight at that point. But um, so that's the one thing that I want to do is I want to start make learning how to make bread because even though you know we had plenty of food, it was just kind of weird to be eating hamburgers without their bun. It's like you were I don't know. It's called a keto diet. <laughs> Yeah, we had like the the fixings and we had onions. So a uh, smash burger is not a smash burger if you don't have copious amounts of fried onion. Right. So you make this bed of fried onion, you layer on the condiments and you got the cheesy meat infused fried up thingy. It was pretty good. How, and then we were out of cooking oil. How, and how did you cook was, it? How did you cook it? Without, without uh, vegetable oil? No, like how how did you cook it in general? Oh, in a in a uh, cast iron um, skillet over what an uh, open fire or something? Um, yeah, inside. No, and power did come back on. We only did like one session. Power came back on long before running water did. Power was out um, with the rolling blackout, which lasted because you know. They, the power company said, we never technically had any outages except um, a few places out in certain areas. But for the most part, what you were not experiencing is not a power outage. You're experiencing a rolling, rolling blackout. blackout. Yeah, They did that because to yeah. protect the, uh, the integrity of the grid or whatever. But did you did you see the reports later, though? Like a couple of days after the, the yeah. power restored, yeah. they were like, we were literally less than four minutes away from a complete system failure. Uh. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't they, they, they said if we had gotten to that point, which was extremely close, like I said, less than four minutes, we would have been without power for weeks. Well, what would have happened in that four minutes? Like, what what would have caused the, uh, the breakdown? I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know what would actually cause this, the system to completely crash, but they said it almost happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my question for you now is, what would you have done? If the the power had gone out for a couple of weeks. So I actually would have done, gotten some of the charcoal that I had and I would have um, um, used the barbecue grill. You, you would have uh, just sucked it up and go outside? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got no choice after that, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and once, once you get a good fire going, you don't let the fire go out. Um, and it makes this nice hot bed of coals. And in the hill country, we have this thing called cedar, which is not a very good thing to cook over. It creates a lot of smoke. It's very oily, but it burns extremely hot. So if you take cedar and at night and you just pile on tons of cedar, it'll make a lot of heat. Um, 
And then you can, t- if you, if absolutely necessary, what you can do is fill up a, uh, a, like a skillet full of hot coals and you can take that inside. Really? That'll, that'll warm up the place a bit? Uh, no. Generally in medieval times, they would use these, uh, coal pans to, um. Is that what they put under, like, heavy blankets and stuff? To yes. Keep- okay, I know yes. what you're talking about, yeah. Uh, but I was also thinking maybe you could put them in an oven and use it to bake with coals inside a regular oven that has no power. But I don't know. I would not recommend doing that until you know for sure that it's not going to cause, like, <laughs> carbon monoxide poisoning and it's not going to damage your oven. Right. <laughs> It was just something I was thinking about. You have you come up with some pretty crazy ideas. Like, wait a minute, could you bring hot coals inside? Like, how bad is that? But apparently, uh, see, I don't actually know how it works. Uh, You can have a kerosene heater burning inside a house, and as long as it's open to a regular sized house, um, you don't have to worry about oxygen shortages, and you don't have to worry about um, carbon monoxide. It's it's safe to use a kerosene heater inside a house, and I, I don't understand how that works, but I know that it works. But at the same time, I know that you can't use like a gasoline heater inside a house because then you have to worry about carbon monoxide and oxygen <laughs> shortages. So I, I really don't understand the, uh, what makes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's one thing that I'd like to know. And I, I wonder I had, if like, I had no heater. If charcoal could do that. Oh, but I work at a, um, a lumber yard, a home improvement store. I work at Lowe's. I work at Lowe's. <laughs> <laughs> And um, during the day, it was quite interesting to see, uh, to observe how many people were not prepared for that. There's people showed up, they bought all of our heaters, all of our kerosene, all of our generators, um, all of our firewood. They bought all of our uh, wood splitting malls. They bought all of our, um, they bought, they did not buy our window unit heaters. You know, like those air conditioner, but also heaters. Those were the only things that were called heaters that were not bought. Bought all of our space heaters. Um, how did the, how did they even plug them in? Uh, space heaters. Well, I guess some people still had power. It's, if you were on the same area as like the police station and the fire f- department, uh-huh. you didn't lose power because really they weren't, weren't going to shut off power. To so the so on the other side of the bridge, there was power. <laughs> the hospital didn't lose power there was a few places that never lost power yeah i know they were trying to conserve energy to make sure like the hospitals had still had power and all that um crazy times man uh there was uh something else um they bought all of our propane all of our butane (laughs) and it was funny because there would be because after they cleared us out first day and this thing went on for many days um and I, another thing I've decided to add to um, my prep area thing is um, PVC pipe replacement. Because, yeah, it wouldn't hurt to have a few couplings on hand, a little bit of glue, and um, a few extra little bits of pipe. Because they bought, like, the, the week after everything thawed, <laughs> they bought all of our PVC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they bought all of our chainsaws, too. Really? Um, but that, that was like the first few days. I think the chainsaws were one of the last things to go. I think those maybe stuck around till the third day. And I was the only fellow coming to work pretty much. No, <laughs> and there was a lot of people that came to work, but uh, they had me come in to work a lot. It was a lot of fun. I got overtime. So much money. Anyway. <laughs> hey, good for you. Um, uh, because it was, um, there, there would be people that would come in in their pajamas, totally unprepared for this. And that was, <laughs> 
<laughs> one of the biggest things that I think that struck me is just how unprepared other people were for it. There'd be people showing up in their pajamas at like 10 a.m. in the morning. And why couldn't they put on proper pants? I have no idea. Maybe they ran out of clean clothes. Who knows? Who cares uh, about clean clothes at this point? I have no idea. But th- they'd be walking around in the store in their pajamas in a store that they probably hadn't been to ever. <laughs> and then they'd come up to you and be like, do you have um, generators <laughs> or something like that? And you'd be like, nope, those are gone. Those are long gone. Oh, they bought all of our softener salt. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, people were throwing out softener salt, which to mm. me is the dumbest thing. Because those things are pellets, right? Yeah, they're pellets. That's like cause they're, they're throwing it down so they can melt the ice so they, they won't slip on the ice. In my mind, I've seen a bunch of people throwing marbles on the ground saying, I hope I won't slip. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I guess if you beat it up into a little bit of fine powder with like a hammer, you'd be fine. But I doubt they did that. Anyway. <laughs> but to be fair, there was – we didn't sell out all of our pellet salt. We sold all of our crystal salt, out, which is more like rock salt. That That's fair. Well, um, I imagine yeah, that would work better than saucer. Just the sheer number of people who came in – and when you told them, hey, we don't have propane anymore, it's all sold out. And they tell you, hey, well, you know, everywhere else is sold out of propane. And well, what am I going to do? I'm like, uh, well, I'm not going to magically spawn in propane. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you should have been a little bit prepared, right? Do, uh, do you think because, you know, we went through this, do you, do you think, especially here in Texas, do you think more people are going to be more consciously aware of being prepared? Um, it should it ever arise again? Oh, Which a lot of here's people are saying this is going to happen again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. Last year, we had another shortage of food and run on the toilet paper. And you know what? I bet there's more people out there was stocked up on toilet paper in their closets but have no food. It's like, do you, do you, uh, I really don't think people learned. <laughs> Because H-E-B, I went to H-E-B during the height of the thingy just to have fun, okay? Right. The floors were muddy. There were so many people who tracked mud in. Because mm. they, they they would get the, the snow on the on their shoes and they would walk in. Sure. And there was so much high traffic that the floors were like almost like, like a barn. Like you've never floor. seen before. Yeah. It was awful. Everything was gone except the protein bars. Again, I'm telling you people, protein bars are the way to go when you're prepping. It's like three protein bars. No, no, it's more than that. A 24 pack of protein bars that are like 200 each will last you two full days. And it costs, what, six bucks or so for a 24 pack of protein bars. That is enough food, 1,200 calories a day for one person to survive, bare minimum, for two days, six bucks, and it stays good for a long time, and it tastes all right. A bit chalky. And it's on the shelf, and nobody's buying it. Instead, they're buying the milk, the bread, and like all this other. Well, we're talking t- about hill country people, right? They're not yes. going to want to eat protein bars. It's weird. The, and then they buy all the canned beans and stuff, and they have no power to cook, and they're buying pasta. It's <laughs> <laughs> they're they're buying whatever they can. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but they're leaving the protein bars. It's yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. It's it, I. I'm just so stunned by just the inapt people at not prepping. I think last year you bought toilet paper 
ad nauseum, and now you are suffering the issues of you can't eat money and you can't eat toilet paper. Oh, well. Oh, oh, it was so funny, though. People forgot to wear masks like crazy. You know, there's still like a lot of people still wearing masks. It was like over like three quarters of the people were in their pajamas not wearing masks. Okay, well, okay. They there's only a few people in their pajamas, but there was less masks. There was people, more people without masks than with yeah, masks. Yeah, I did notice that. People like, f- people forgot there was a pandemic still, and they're <laughs> like, this, but the snow! <laughs> oh, it was so... It was, it was um, quite the uh, interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, so, like I was telling you, how I survived was, you know, I still had water, plenty of water. Uh, I had granola bars and protein bars. That was the only thing I could eat because I didn't have power to mm-hmm. make anything. I, ma- I made ramen occasionally, but I tried not to eat too much ramen because it's a lot of sodium. But <laughs> yeah, I had that. I had no no way of getting uh, heat in, so I just had a bunch of blankets. Well, you know, Eric, you can just not put the sodium packet in there and eat the just a straight up noodles but what, what's the fun in that there's no fun in that exactly <laughs> what 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 makes the ramen is the broth and How the, much and the flavor like three jars i had plenty of peanut butter i didn't go through it all That's i'm a, gonna tell you in within three months i'm going to own more peanut butter than i've ever owned in my whole life i believe it like that was a terrifying experience not stocking up on peanut butter oh but like, you know what else like, i had my peanut, oh man you know what else I had? So, uh, just before the winter, or during the winter, actually, I would say, during the winter storm, we had Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. <laughs> cheesecake. You had cheesecake? No, 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 no. <laughs> so, uh, the week, not the week, well, maybe like a couple of days before the winter storm happened, and before Valentine's happened. <gasps> Peanut butter. Uh, Reese's. Reese's? Reese's? Is that a Valentine thing? My, my wife bought me a box. A box of Reese's Pieces. <laughs> and I was like, this is a lot of Reese's. Even I can't go through this. And then the winter storm happened. <laughs> by, the en- like- by the end of that three days that I had no power, <laughs> that box was gone. <laughs> I had a Reese's Feast. So, um, things that I've learned. Uh, not enough peanut butter, not enough rain bottle water, uh, rain water, even though I didn't even use up half of it. I like, wait a minute, this is not enough. I need more bears. Well, uh, it's good to just, just to have, you know, you, you never know. Obviously you never know when you're going to, uh, yeah, more cooking options. I'm thinking, and then I need to, because I, I all the prepping that I've ever ran across, like all the, the manuals and things that thing i've never run across cooking oil and then i was like oh snap that's because it's hard cooking it's hard cooking without oil (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah i can imagine yeah what we actually ended up doing is um it is it got pretty it was pretty nasty that was like probably the nastiest piece of deer meat i've ever eaten it was after the power came back um we were braising a deer meat roast without oil and what (laughs) we had to do is we put i put (laughs) Because I, I was actually the only one who ate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I put the roast in the frying pan and I put about an eighth of an inch of water. Oh. Yeah. And um, Didn't work out know, so well? It, it worked out. Uh, I kept it from sticking to the bottom. It made a lot of what's called fond in, um, yeah. in the cooking yeah. world. And it definitely tasted very fondy of your meat. <laughs> 
I definitely would not have liked it. No. And especially since I tried uh, not cutting it so that it was um, – so that way there was less surface area to stick, you know? So, like, I tried keeping – that's why I didn't do um, hamburgers that time uh, because, you know, more surface area. So I was doing a roast, least amount of surface area possible. And so what that meant is the inside was uh, medium rare. <laughs> Which is not exactly the safest way to be eating deer meat at all. Um, but it's also the nastiest way of eating deer meat because deer meat has this inherent rancid flavor. And it's more <laughs> pronounced when the deer is juiciest. <laughs> Gross. It was, it was not best, but, you know, um, I live by the if you cook it, you eat it rule. So, well, good for you for toughing it out. <laughs> it forces you to become a better cook. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, and deer meat is so lean. There's no oil, no fat to render oil out of. Even if you did, were able to render oil out of um, deer fat, it would be so nasty. If you ever find anyone cooking deer meat, you will find that they trim the fat off before they cook it. Because even non-whitetail deer, even if you have like a, a roe or a um, an axis or any of those other kinds of deer which taste so much better than whitetail, they will still trim the deer meat off because it's uh, the deer fat off. Because it's not like beef fat, which improves the flavor. It, it doesn't. So <laughs> could you imagine cooking deer meat? It's like you take the, the part of deer meat flavor that you dislike, Eric, and then you're cooking in that. It's pretty gross. The essence of that. It would not be wonderful. I don't even like beef fat. Um, I like beef fat. <laughs> I love it. I love roast. Uh, not Blech. roast. Steaks. I love uh, beef steaks. If I, I don't eat a lot of beef, but if I was to eat um, beef of choice, it would be a, uh, a ribeye steak. I don't like steak. <sighs> well, more for me. Yep. <laughs> The last time I ate a steak was at uh, my wife's parents' house because her dad just cooked a bunch of steaks. And uh, I knew what I was going to, you know, eat over there. So I brought with me A1 steak sauce. And uh, I got I got funny looks. Uh, I, I guess people... It was good. I, I, well, there's certain people that, that suggest that, uh, the, uh, the flavor of the, of the, of the cow should be enough for you. Okay. What you do next time is bring something like, go to HEB and get salt lick. Uh, it's a brand name, barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. Just get something that's unusual <laughs> and then like talk in uh, that way you can, you can be having your barbecue sauce and then pretend like it's, you know, a classic flavor and and has is a flair and, you know, the, the whole flair thing about it. And then uh. people will be like, oh, well, I guess it you know, has a special name. Uh, I guess he knows what he's doing. <laughs> that That's like cooking world. Ninety percent. Just say something that nobody understands. Everyone, everyone will fall for you. Fall for it. Except a, an experienced cook. <laughs> and when's the last time you sat down and cook, uh, ate with somebody who with a professional cook, a professional restaurant cook? Uh, probably never. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> no risk. Yep. Yep. Well. Did you learn anything in particular, any um, prepping things that you were like, okay, I hadn't thought of this before, cold hit? Um, honestly, I wasn't thinking too much about what I could do better if this situation ever happens again, other than uh, 
get a, like a small generator because I don't have one. And like I mentioned before, I don't have a way of cooking anything when the power goes out. So that's something that I definitely need to address. I do have a grill, but like I just didn't want a grill kind of like you. I just didn't want to go outside and do anything. <laughs> yeah. On top of that, I don't really have any meat either. Like I don't buy or have meat in bulk and freezer. So yeah. Well, you have a Costco's and uh, Sam's Club membership. You can definitely get that bulk meat if you want. Yeah, I could, but I just don't eat. I just don't eat a lot of meat. <laughs> yeah, and you don't like beef, so you would have to go with I don't know chicken. Some chicken. So yeah, the- get yourself some bulk chicken tendies. I definitely have to think about a few things, but overall, I would. I- I wouldn't say I was doing too bad. Like I said, I had protein bars, vanilla bars, plenty of water, lots of blankets. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. I had a radio with that was uh, battery operated. So I had that at least and uh, plenty of books to read. So yeah. How about flashlights? I had plenty of flashlights and batteries. Oh, and I had candles. My main source of light oh, at night. Yeah, I need to write that down. I need to buy candles. So I had, I actually had four candles. I had like one in each corner of the room. So it was evenly lit. And uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. It was an interesting experience. Uh, how was the fuel situation there and um how, how did they did they did they um in did they the pumps did they say we're out of gas um did you ever have that because out here we ran out of fuel there was no gasoline to be had here's the thing we didn't run out of gas but there was no power to operate the pumps <laughs> seriously and that was that happened for even like a day after the power came back on like there wasn't, there wasn't like a lot of gas stations that were operating at the time. There was like a few in every area that were operating, like one out of every five gas stations that you came across were working. And that one gas station that was working, packed. Yeah. Packed. Not worth going. Not worth going. You literally had to wait in line in the be street. Faster. In the be street fa- <laughs> before turning into the gas station for like yeah. 30, 40 minutes. Oh, were there massive runs going to the, the restaurants? Like, were, were there lines of packing out the uh, drive through at fast food restaurants? There was. Um, there was there was only a handful of restaurants that were open as well. Uh, Whataburger was shut down for <laughs> a couple of days even after the power came back on because I guess they hadn't gotten supplies in. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of restaurants like that. Um, but the ones that were open, they were so packed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, there's food, no food in the grocery store. So people are going and buying fast food. And there was something just so hilarious to me that I'm driving down the snowy road and there's this person with their car half in and half out of the road. So they're they're hanging the rear end of their car out into the traffic on a slippery, slidey road. They're risking their neck for the McDonald's. It was, I don't know, part of me was just laughing and dying on the inside at the same time. Yeah, but I mean, what what option did you have if you had no food, right? Yeah, so don't be that guy. <laughs> if, I can, if I can tell you one thing, folks, is just don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was still, like, so even when the power came back on, the grocery stores still don't have any food. Gas stations were scarce, uh, as well as restaurants. I, like I said, I have a ton of ramen here, right? 
I was perfectly fine eating ramen every day. Like, I did not have a need to go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like waiting for an hour for fast food. Uh, And here's the thing about ramen. Uh, You can eat that stuff without even putting it in water. You can eat the dry noodles without the seasoning packet and technically get calories to survive. It is not a pleasant way to live, (laughs) but it is a way to live. You can do that. You can do that. Uh, but, you know, it was fine. Power came back on. There was a boil notice, so it boiled all my water. It was fine. I think I was certainly off. I, I think I was certainly better off more, more than, you know, the majority of the people. Which is saying a lot, because I am not a prepper. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm a prepper, but I'm like... I'm not, wouldn't consider myself even close to a, I'd say I'm still entry level pretty much. An amateur I, prepper? Yeah, I've got maybe like a, enough to survive for a month. And beyond a month, so, you know, my prepping ability, I think, wanes considerably. <laughs> so, and, and that's the thing about like fuel. I, I really don't know. Like, is that something that you should store up or not? Because like gasoline doesn't stay good for awfully long. You can't store it indefinitely. It has to be treated or used up or something. So part of me like doesn't like storing gasoline, but I always keep my tank above half. Like I don't when my tank is right. down to half full, I go and I fill it up. That's just like I don't know, slightly a, prepper of me. <laughs> I mean, I do that. I just don't like being stuck anywhere. If by chance, you know, I can't. But I'm I'm thinking, do you think that like you should have like ten gallons sitting around in a tank? Like yeah, you know, just two regular. Ten, uh, five gallon tanks that you can just pour into a car if necessary. Because like even if, and it's not really a bad thing to be prepping for. Because like people run out of gas occasionally. It's right, not, right, not right. a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Because that's like ninety percent of what I found useful about prepping. Like you prep for having to do um, surgery or whatnot in the middle of a right, re- right. return to the dark ages, and then you know somebody <laughs> has a slight injury and you're like, you know what? I have an emergency kit over here. Plumph, Band-Aid. <laughs> right. You know, in, in the rare chance that something terrible happens, you have prepped for that. But in, in the meantime, you can use it for other things. Like I, I never prepped for COVID-19, but you know what? My prep definitely turned into be very helpful for it. I, uh, didn't buy enough toilet paper, I guess, but I was quite willing to use leaves. Uh, <laughs> I'm a hunter. I know how to do that sort of a thing. I've been out and in about in the uh, far reaches of the wild land and where toilet paper is not to be found. I've never experienced that. It is not a pleasant feeling. <laughs> you want to go for the fresh leaves? Don't use the brown leaves because they get crumbly. It's not good. You want green vegetation. Common sense will tell you. (laughs) Hey, I was not very old when I figured that out. Well, I suppose that'll do it for today's episode. It was a good episode. I like So I think next time we'll need to cover something like if you're a Chinese government and you need to prep for world domination. (laughs) No. That's a little bit beyond what I could, uh, I think, reasonably information to. What do you think is is likely to happen first? First, but the I, the 2030 scarce food or, or or Chinese world domination in 2049. What do you think will happen first? Well, I think it's supposed to start happening at the same time. Like there's the, the build up. Right. And right, I don't. Right. I don't know. I think that the. I'm thinking that. What the, do you think has a better chance of happening? Oh, the the modern minimum for sure. The modern solar minimum. 
Because that one is assured that someday, for sure, the sun will hit a waning minimum. That will happen. It's 100% guaranteed. The timing, not so much. But the assurity that the event will happen is 100% guaranteed. Mm, that's interesting. You know, there's a lot of prophecy that says, like, in the end times, like, in the end of days, we're going to have a, a famine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's always, like, the, the famine uh, and then the famine and then plague at round about the same time. Man, what a time to be living in, huh? I suppose. It's an interesting time, at least. Well, I suppose that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to Bizarre Conspiracies. As always, you can reach us at bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. That's one word, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. Any last uh, thoughts about uh, today's episode? I want to learn how to make uh, bread. I want to learn how to make cheese. I want to learn how to turn uh, grapes, not grapes, um, turn... Uh, olives into oil and I want to learn how to turn grapes into alcohol. I want to learn how to turn grapes into grapes jelly into and I want to, yeah. Like there's a lot of a lot of things that I'm I want to learn like food things like how to turn regular stuff like the old timey stuff. I want right. to learn how to make um fermentation stuff like uh, pickling or uh, syrups and butters did, and jellies. You, you and did some fermentation not too long ago. I did, but like there's so many different types of fermentation and then like I really don't understand like the science behind it. Because, you know, if if watching Stone Age, the anime thing has taught me anything is that if you learn <laughs> a science behind something, you can replicate it in anything. And, you know, obviously, obviously. I, I really want to, like, I want to get into the old timey, old fashioned um, pioneer food creation, because that would be, I think, the most useful in a um, prepper right. skill set. All right. Well, we kind of know how to make bread. I mean, we we worked in a place that required oh, us to make bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I I'm pretty sure that one's going to be the easiest of all of them because I've made breads before, and I I've been doing a lot of pizza crust and pie crust. So I just want to let everyone know if I can make bread, you can make bread. I'm kind <laughs> of an idiot in the kitchen. If I can make bread, you guys can make bread. It's very easy. Bread's one of the easier ones. So, well, all right. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.